realized that I... I slandered you a little bit last week off of a very, a very popular uh, downloaded podcast, my interview with Matt Sundin. Uh, you know, it was all the rage. Everyone was talking about it. Uh, yeah, it's because I promoted it on you know, my yeah. show. I yeah. said it was I a, actually begged you. Yeah. <laughs> I begged you. I and begged I, yes. I was like, hey, everyone, make sure that you promote this. But uh, I, I, I see that you have a Pat Borders poster in your office, and I, mm-hmm. I thought your Pat Borders story was that he was a jerk to you or that – you kind of flubbed that interview, but yours no. was actually a good interaction. Yours was not an embarrassing story. Like, he was good to you, and you guys had a good talk. I will say this, though. How good do you think that talk was now? Like, if you had to listen back to that interview, how fast would you burn that tape? Uh, well, so, one, obviously, yeah, you couldn't remember the story because it's not in, about you. You're not in the story, like, so it was very... Don't be like that, dude. Don't, it don't be like that. very That's difficult for your brain to retain the information in which you were not in the story. No, the first the first interaction, I, I don't know if it was cringeworthy. It was, it was, he was, I think it was his final, like, game at Rogers Center as a visiting player. He was with the Mariners. This was after he had declined a promotion to the major leagues. He was playing in Tacoma with the AAA team. Uh, and then the Mariners tried to call him up, and he said, uh, you know what, I kind of like my minor league life. I'm closer to my family. I'd rather not. And they're like, please. And he's like, all right, fine. Uh, and he w- he got into this game at Rogers Center against the Blue Jays, and I was an intern, and, and back in the day, interns at the fan got to go into the visiting clubhouses, uh, visiting locker rooms, and just stick the microphone in scrums and, and get sound. So naturally, I was like, "This is there's nobody around Pat Borders for some some reason. Like, obviously, I'm going to try and talk to Pat Borders. And it wasn't – he was just not super verbose. He was very yeah. kind. But yeah. there's a sequel to the story because we just had him on a couple of months ago. As, uh, well, yeah, I guess it was a couple of months ago now as the Blue Jays are getting ready for their playoff push. And now he – like, after spending, like, 11 years away Man, he never from everything. media. He's one Dude. of those just complete media ghosts. Yeah, well, he's back in a big way. Like, we couldn't shut him up. Like, I I was like, this is great, and I tried to end the interview, and he's like, hey, wait, I got some thoughts on, uh, you know, Jordan Markham. I mean, uh, Jordan Romano from Markham. Like, he wouldn't – I couldn't get him off the line. It was amazing. And he he lives on a farm. You could hear his his cows in the background. It was honestly one of the the highlight interviews of my career. Dude, I kind of like the name Jordan Markham. Yeah, I know. It's way better. He should change his name. He should absolutely change his name. What do you do it? Like, think yeah. about Jordan Markham is so much better. I like that's a great rebrand for him. Jordan Markham is the guy who has a couple of beers and a cigarette. That's what he yeah. should tell people when he's out. Like that's the guy yeah. who smokes in the clubhouse. Hey, it's and Jordan Markham. Delano Rexdale. Yeah. Hey, I actually have uh, like I have CJ Miles after you, so I'm not going to do a ton of raps with you today because I got a bunch of different stuff. But that was a that was a really nice Delano Banton game. Did you watch raps okay. last night? Yeah, man, he was. Well, I don't know. Some, uh, sometimes I, I'm not sure what the schedule is. Some nights you finish the show, you got to get home to the children. You, you know, you got to reorganize. Did a lot your... of texting with Blake Murphy about about Jeff Doughton. Duh, yeah, that's that's just classic Blake Murphy. He's just so obsessed with trying to attach himself to guys who are G leaguers that because if he ever just hits on one, right? That's just one of those things where he just needs to hit on the one right. guy and yeah. then he's set. Remember he was so Bruno heavy? He, we used to joke about yes. how he was alone on Bruno Island and, like, Grange yeah. left him there with the coconut because Grange even got off the island after, like, yeah. three years. People kept doing the whole, 
You know, Bruno showed up at training camp. You gotta for, people forget that this was just a teenager from Brazil. It's like, yeah, you know who should have remembered that? Uh, Masai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, apparently Bruno had a really great World Cup qualification game last week. Okay, Dude, I was told. That's amazing. But and you know what's funny is that <laughs> Downton and Bruno wore the same number twenty. Like both yeah. those guys, same number. Yeah. They're just. Uh, Blake Murphy's G League pet projects. Uh, Downton Jr.'s first possession of that game was a defensive one where I, he got crossed over so hard multiple times by Alec Burks. I went, oh, that's like almost exactly what I would look like. Like that's, <laughs> that's almost, that's as close as I have ever related to an NBA basketball player. He actually played okay. But um, Panton, man. Okay, this is actually the quick take before I, I – bring in C.J. Miles on this one. Last night was just an ex- exhibition in how confidence matters in sports. Like, Scotty Barnes right now looks like a guy who's playing without any confidence. He's turning the ball over. He looks like he's lost his ball handling, a lot of his feel, his vision. The only times you really loved him last night is when he's, like, in the dunker spot, which mm-hmm. is not what you want to see for Scotty Barnes. Meanwhile, Delano Banton draining threes, aggressively going at the basket, using his size and feel to create for other people, including himself at the rim. I, I loved his game last night. He's so long. He's rangy. He can handle the rock. It's just, yeah, he looks very confident, whereas Scotty Barnes didn't. And I, I kind of thought that was the difference between the two of them last night is, hey, which one of these guys is the high pick? Hard to tell. Yeah, no, I was super bullish on Banton right out of the gates, right, when he yeah. was he was flashing some energy. Uh, right away, and the, the man Nick Nurse's rotations are super interesting. They evolve. Well, I mean, they're forced to. Yes, guys. Yes, yeah, I understand. Yesterday is a different <laughs> different deal. But yeah, I thought Chris Boucher the, was going to go off for forty points last night. I thought this is the perfect Chris Boucher <laughs> takes all the shots. He doesn't care about anyone else. He just heaves that catapult shot up there and goes for forty. Well, but. Yes, yesterday was an extremely um, unique set of circumstances to allow guys like Delano Banton to get a, a long runway. But I think that's, I mean, that's a huge moment for him to prove that he's capable, right? When when some of these hurt guys, when some of these sick guys come back, to, to throw himself back into the mix to be part of this rotation again. Yeah, no, I, I liked Banton yesterday, and yeah, um, I, I really do believe that he is, a, like he's as born and I say he is a guy um man I got so many things I'm just gonna start with this there's t- there's tons of stuff yesterday right there's uh the Eagles lose their perfect record I have some Blue Jays thoughts I want to explore with you but Kyle Dubas spoke yesterday mm-hmm. and I'm paraphrasing here and he said they're not gonna make a rush decision or they're not gonna panic or th- he insinuated something along those lines about using the LTIR space that is going to be available because of Jake Muzzin. Like yesterday, Muzzin gets – it's revealed publicly, essentially, that he's going to be out until March. They're going to reevaluate him ahead of the deadline, but ultimately he's got the type of injury that it's, it's a post-playing career decision. I, I said all along that what I, my understanding was someone told me that it was very reminiscent to what Clark MacArthur was going through, which is – if he played another game, it was going to be terrifying for everybody that is in direct contact with him. Um, obviously, Muzzin's health is... It, like, that's clearly the most important thing. This isn't like... 
no offense to Derrick Rose, but remember when he was going like, I want to be able to walk my daughter yeah. down the aisle. I was like, yeah, man, okay, what, what are we talking about here? You just took like Brains, tens of millions of necks, different yeah. than knees. Yeah, different than you feeling like you should be able to, like, what? wait, what's happening here? I don't understand. This is a real one. He's out for a while, but then TJ Brody just like moments before the Canucks game Saturday night, he gets put on. He's just they show right scratched, and I go, "What is this?" He's obviously hurt because you don't scratch your team's best defenseman, but it's revealed it's an oblique injury. I, I'm kind of optimistic because Tavares just seemed to prove to us that oblique injuries in hockey are nothing. Like I'm used to them from baseball, where you go, "Oh my God, this is devastating. We're never going to see this guy for a month." Tavares just came back right away, didn't even miss a regular season game. So I'm not too panicked about Brody. This is sort of my thought. Leafs have been really good defensively this year. Like, this has been one of the weird, underrated stories is, yeah, have they let the Vegas Golden Knights get to the front of the net? Have they had some poor showings where they've given up some high-danger chances to some opponents? Absolutely they have. But if you look from a year ago at this same marker... They're nineteenth or they're eighth in goals against. Last year they were nineteenth. Like mm-hmm. they're really good at making sure other teams don't get the middle of the ice, that other teams don't get a ton of shots against them. Everyone's kind of panicking about this whole Jake Muzzin replacement thing. Hey, they have to go out, they have to make a move, they have to do it now. I'm very much in the camp of be as patient as possible. Do Nothing, unless something comes across the table that you feel like you're in a prime position because of that salary cap space or someone wants the Muzzin contract or whatever the hell. Like, to me, you're in a catbird seat. There's just no panic right now. Everything's about the playoffs. Your team is clearly good enough. How many guys would the Leafs have to lose for you to feel like they're not going to make the playoffs? Well, they're, that's they're, the thing. They're I mean, good. That's, 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 I mean, that's where... That's where teams get panicky, right? Where they they see the season slipping away. They see that they're not going to make the playoffs. And we've seen this team already lose to Arizona, Montreal, San Jose, and Anaheim. And still they're second in the Atlantic Division, right? Like they're they're not going any with horrible goaltending. With Eric Schalgren as the unquestioned number one. And I guess we have to see... Yeah, we got to see what Matt Murray looks like, and and maybe his return lasts more than a game. But no, you you can't afford to be panicky. We we do this all the time in 100%. baseball too, right? About how you know Ross Atkins has to get out there, he has to jump the market for a reliever. You just you can't afford to do it because well, maybe you pay such a, a premium. You pay such that was a, a bad premium. example by you. You were no. like, you know what's good? Wait, yeah. like Ross Atkins, the deadline killer, the guy who always wow. dominates at the deadline. Well, he, he did get the, the reliever. He got the, he got the reliever with the best ERA at the deadline. Oh yeah, you bats. and Chris Black, you should write another column about how well that worked out is uh, yeah. in the regular uh, season against Tim the Mays. Texas it was Rangers. not the guy that they acquired. Uh, yeah, should be able to protect <laughs> yeah. a seven run lead in a playoff game. Besides the point, no, you're you're not going out like nobody's swinging trades right now for top four defensemen, which is no. clearly what you need. It's like the idea. Kyle Dubas yesterday talked about, hey, you know, maybe internally. You know, this guy, Rasmus Sandin, who's a bet on himself and said, uh, you know, you got to pay me, despite the fact the the guy who's actually, you know, been a little bit more valuable to this team recently and is my countryman, you know, just signed on the dotted line and then eventually acquiesced. Uh, no, he's got to prove himself as a top four. It's not happening, right? Like, there's no way that this team has Stanley Cup aspirations and it's, you know, because Rasmus Sandin takes over Jake Muzzin's spot. They're obviously going to have to go out and and add a defenseman, but not now. Okay, can I say that right now? I don't think that's as obvious. I think they're going to have to add a defenseman because that's just what good teams do come deadline yeah. day, and 
the Leafs now, they, they probably don't want to have Victor Mete be the guy that's on the bubble for this team, right? All of a sudden, you lose Jake Muzzin. Everybody else bumps up. But I genuinely do not think that this blue line is in bad shape. I look at them and I go, yeah, Lilligren may have to win a, a Stanley Cup or just, get into dude, the playoffs. Just, That's what I'm saying. I, like, it's fine to get into the playoffs, but to win yes, a Stanley Cup? I know everyone does this. Everyone does the, is it heavy enough? I would love for them to have another guy who could eat 20 minutes. Of course. I'd love for them to be able to find a perfect replacement for Jake Muzzin. I think that they're in a position where you can wait, you can be patient, and you try to add best player available for the assets that are at your disposal come deadline day. I just don't think it's a, a an absolute lock that the team that every single year can't come up with a big goal in a game seven, that can't get secondary scoring, shouldn't be looking to add a forward who can score. That's all. It's just, Oof. let's, let's Buddy, see this now play you're, out. You're, no, you're taking I'm me back you. to the conversation we had, the Nick Foligno versus Taylor Hall discussion. What? Yeah, Taylor Hall yeah. stinks. It, it, what, why, what, I mean, like, in, you think that their that, fortunes uh, change? <laughs> I think maybe the the problem was maybe goal scoring for that. I mean, yeah. People are such – it's that's the what? most revisionist history take ever because, like, Felino, I'll stand by this. Felino was, like, the right player for that team. He just was debilitated come playoff mm-hmm. time. Like, his yeah. back was non-functioning. I've talked to him about the state he was in. He was, like, on the floor in the dressing room trying to get ready for games. This is always a weird one where you go, hey, how much of you being hurt is should be the next guy up? But, no, he was truly in hell with his back going into that oh, playoff yeah. series, and he no, still he played through play. it. Yeah, barely, right? Like, Yeah. 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 I just think uh, the Taylor Hall thing is not – that's not the take, like, to me anyway. Like, there's no reality where I think the Leafs were, oh, my God, had they just gotten Taylor Hall, it would have all been fine. Uh, anyway, I just – I think the Leafs obviously need to be patient. I don't even think that this is that, like, much of a take. This is almost boring because I really do believe if you're – halfway thinking about this. You're not going, give up everything for Jacob Chikrin, the Coyotes player that none of us have ever seen play before. Like, please, enough with this. Like, I don't want to see that move. I don't want to see them panic. They should very much be patient. They should very much be waiting on their assets. And to me, I just, I don't think that it's a lock that they need to be adding a top four defenseman. If it ends up being a defensive guy who they add to the mix, who adds to their depth, I don't have as big of an issue with that as much as some other people do. To me, I, I still believe that the priority as of right now, if you told me, hey, you only get to add one thing to this team, it would probably be a scoring forward that can play in the top six. Um, that's where I'm at. Review. Yeah, to, <laughs> to, to me, it would be convincing Austin Matthews that he can take over a game seven. Like, like or just uh, score a, did a in, goal in, that isn't on the power seven. play this year. That'd be cool. What's that? Or, yeah. 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 Score some non-power play goals. That'd be awesome. Uh, Leaf fans just all for his entire career, like five on five goals, five on five goals, five on five right. goals. And then this season, no one will talk about it. Everyone's like, he'll be fine. <laughs> yes, he, will, he will be completely fine. That's the real reason why this offense is struggling. Like you look at all their numbers and go, why have uh, the goals four dipped? Why have they become all of a sudden a defensive team? It's like, yeah, because the guy who has been used to carrying their offensive load is not really doing it five on five anymore. Um, so last night the Eagles lose. And uh, I was pretty pissed because I had a prop bet with, that it needed Jalen Hurts to have like 15 more pass yards and 10 more rush yards. I really want to see the Eagles get the football. So I, I'm I'm putting my hand up and saying that there is a bias here, okay? 
if you're going to do a review, and we're going to have a review for things like fumbles, why can't we just include something as egregious as that, where it's like black and white, that someone's helmet got ripped off, that there was a just clear and obvious face mask. Why, why wouldn't we make this the rule? Like, I don't understand. I get that we didn't work it out with pass interference and that it's, well, where does this end and where does it... If it's clear and obvious like that, why not just get the play right? I, I don't get why we can't do this as, as a civilization. Well, I mean, it gets back to my common sense replay review, which the NFL has kind of adopted, right? They had the eye in the sky now and... and, and officials have an earpiece in and they can change the calls on the field i think what you the the problem with having judgment calls adjudicated like we had um a couple of years ago with the pass interference review is that there's no gray area right like there's either you call everything or you call nothing you you can't so every time there's like the little tiniest most inconsequential face mask and i guess you throw a challenge flag to review it we have happen? to like when does that happen i watch a ton of football i never i can't think of times that i've gone oh that would have been called like again if it if a guy puts his fingers in a face mask and wrenches the head back like that's mm -hmm. what i'm saying clear and obvious definitive we do this for other sports like it uh, to me it actually doesn't see that complicated. I know that we keep kind of going back and forth in review and you got you and I have had this conversation like a million times. I, I just think it's so dumb when we watch a play that gets reviewed and there's just an obvious penalty that's attached to it and we just all have to pretend like all those officials go in there like we missed the call. <laughs> we we missed the call and but we're going to take the touchdown back because we can tell that maybe kind of a shadow touched this guy's leg as he went down to the ground with the football. It's just so aggressively dumb to me. Like, I, I don't I don't get it. It's just, hey, look at it. What was the play? That was the play? Good. That's it. You guys are three refs. Live and die with the consequences. I would just rather have it be a more informed decision than one where an old referee, like, what is that one line judge doing? Or the, you know, the guy, the back judge. Sorry, that's the name of him. The back judge in the shot is looking directly at that play with a clear line of sight. Like, sometimes these dudes just zone out. Like, they're not even awake out there. Yeah, they're too old. Uh, physically, it's very difficult to, to for them to uh, to see what's going on in the football field. Do you field. think you want to stand on your feet and move around and run around like that when you're, like, 60 years old like some of these dudes? Oh, hell no. Hell no. no. Would I like to collect the paycheck that they collect for working – 18 weeks a year? Yeah, probably. Well, a little bit more than that with preseason. But yeah, no, I'd be fine with that. Um, and these guys, yeah, they, they're probably more than pleased to, to do that uh, once a week for, yeah, again, 18 Those weeks. Those guys should even be 100% out of the playoff mix for just that game alone. Like those guys, they put the best officiating crews in the playoffs. Those guys are are out for last night. Even they the rough in the passer call, like well, I would, he throws that... his head back and he goes, he does a little flop. And they just buy it, and the ref throws the thing. He's like, well, you touched him. He, like, that was not a physical roughing play. Like, the play is called roughing the passer. Yeah. Roughing, as in you roughed him up. And the ref is throwing that when a guy gives up a knee for the game-changing play. I just, I, I, enough with this stuff, man. Like, it was just a horrific performance by the officials. And, I, again, I don't know why, if they're going to use review, they cannot just have it where the officials get around, they look at the replay and go, hey, 
In the moment, we're fallible. In the moment, we can be idiots. Hey, we're all old guys who can't really see out here, and a lot of us have big-time egos. But now, in a headset with someone else, we've just decided, we looked at this play, and we said, we're dumb, we missed something, this was the actual play that was on the field. Like, that, it, it just doesn't well, seem so hard. I don't know why that, you think it's so hard. Failing that, I think most people with, with a conscience would have that in their back pocket and know that, hey, we botched this call. So you get a situation where, like, A, roughing the passer penalty ends the game that you're probably yeah. not going to call it. And they, well, they, they still gave them the it. pick play. They gave them the pick play. That was the makeup oh, call. Yes. Was the okay. pi- the pick play that Washington had that essentially would have sealed the game uh, all of a sudden was uh, an mm-hmm. egregious pass interference penalty. I was like, I don't know, that kind of looked like the Eagles players so, running into each other. What, what you're advocating for, though, is somebody, you're advocating for, like, the sporting officiating czar, right? Like, one no. overseeing body who has ultimate say, somebody whose judgment we trust, because that's no. it. You have to have somebody who's making that decision who we trust. And we don't trust the, the officials on the field, even after looking at the replay to change their minds, because, you know, there is hubris and ego involved in, in changing a call that you made on the field. So we're talking about somebody in the booth, the booth review, the eye in the no. sky, the same guy that's got his line to the, the referee's earpiece, that one person being no. the, the all-knowing seer and truth teller in all no. pro sports. No, you're wrong. I, I think that the way to check the egos of the officials is to continue to let them have the decisions in their heads. Because th- like, they should be able to go up to that thing as a group together and as a committee yeah. and know. I think it's that like they should be you've never seen an official Dude, before. They should it's be like you don't know that, uh, that then, Angel Hernandez exists. Listen, this is my point. I think that the stick doesn't work. There's no such thing as a stick with officials. There just isn't. The stick is, oh, you don't get the playoff games and the bonuses. And they go, well, that sucks, but only a few guys get that anyways. And yeah. it would be great to have it, but I'm not. it's not like I'm working more and getting less. You know, it's just there's no real stick. So incentivize them more. Give them more money and based on the score of the game that they get. Like the better the score that the officials get, Give them more money. And so put them in those positions where they have to watch those replays and it takes some of the hubris out going, hey, you missed this call, but actually if you correct it and you make it the right play, you still get a, you still get right. the brownie points for it. Like you do not – there's no penalty for you missing something. If you go to the replay and they challenge it and you get this right and we will grade this later, you will get more – of the incentive, you will get more of the money, you will get a better What's thing. Like, say... I thought about with the umpire. Like, we can see the thing where they get yeah. the perfect score grade, right? right? So why not make it if an umpire calls a perfect game, right? Like, or the closer... Because you know what that would get rid of? That would get rid of the ego strike or the ego ball call where the official decides, oh, you dropped your bat too early or you moved, started moving towards first base too quickly and that pissed me off so I rung you up on a ball. Uh, or sorry, when I rung you up on a strike when it should have been a ball. Give these guys more money... Give these guys something for the closer they are to perfect games because now we can judge them. Yeah, it, well, we can in baseball. That's the difference, right? The, the two sports are Why very different. We and what, well, and what, but what's not to say, and I haven't done this, but like rewind that replay back even further behind uh, b- before the face mask. Was there holding? Like I'm sure there was probably a somewhat egregious holding on that play. Like where does it end, right? There, there are there's so many things that you can call in, in any individual play in football that, yes, I understand that you, your level of egregiousness is a, a face mask that negates a turnover, on, and I think we can all agree on that. But there's going to be plays where it's, it's way more difficult 
to, to come to a consensus on. And there's going to be people that have their own biases. That. But that's the thing. It's still going to have to be coaches' challenges that change the plays, right? And maybe you don't want to call one of those ticky-tack fouls because you can start to have a grading system that goes like, hey, uh, this play right here where you decided to call holding was kind of a dumb one, and this one was a good one. Like, did you see the Cowboys game? They called a holding on the Cowboys, and that, that Packers game was – if you were doing a uh, – if you were doing a YouTube channel of how sports are rigged, you would use that Cowboys-Packers game in your slideshow. Like, some of these holding calls that are just completely non-impactful in this, maybe you're just letting go every once in a while so that you don't have to feel like you're involved. I, I don't know, man. I just – I think that right now they're in a spot where there's too much money in these games. Like, there's too much money with the athletes. There's too much money with contracts on the line. There's too much money with gambling. And there's way too much money coming in with gambling across these programs where you have to keep it on the up and up. Like, they have to do a better job of making sure that sports betters, men, you don't think that's, like, the huge part of their base, like the NFL right now, too? Like, and especially growth potential with sports? You think people are sitting down for baseball games going, this product is amazing? Or do you think they're going and sitting down and saying, I have the under, like, which of these two things is more realistic in terms of growing the sport moving forward? If you want to keep that legitimacy, you want to make sure that those people, those customers are satisfied, I think you have to do a better job than what you currently have set up. It's just, it's not working in any sport. Officials well, I think story it's transparency. It's transparency. Yeah. I think it's, you're right. It's, uh, well, it's accountability, number one. And I guess there is some, like, secret accountability, right? There's, you know, like you said, playoff assignments, and and Super Bowl assignments ultimately that's the the be all end all Great. but there there needs to be more transparency in evaluation and I know the NBA tried to do it with the last 2 minutes thing but that's that's not an individual official thing right like we need to have why can't we i mean these officials are paid enough that it's it's not like you know this is an undue scrutiny thing but why can't we have a breakdown an official one not a twitter account that's doing it you know, gathering publicly available information and kind of putting it together on their own. Why don't all of these leagues have a publicly available database of who is performing the best and who is performing the worst? Guess what? You know what? I, I think I, I think we that we'd have we'd have uh, some some officials who are either you know taking early retirement or some guys that would rightly be put in the right spots. You know why though? There's two things. One is that. These crybaby ref unions that can't take even a hint of criticism to the point where the league has to fine coaches and players who publicly talk after games about bad officiating, right? Like that that's how this thing operates. Refs But do I not understand that. That is you can't you can't give the impression that your sport's not on the up and up. Right. But, they're, but they're not making it on the up and up. They're saying that the calls are bad, right? Like you right. have Nick Nurse stand at a podium and go, hey, look, here's a free throw discrepancy. That's a bad night. And the league goes, that's $10,000. You go, mm -hmm. what? Like, I'm just pointing out that the refs suck tonight, that it was a part of the game. I'm a head coach who has millions of dollars on the line, and I feel like I want it out there publicly that the officials are bad and the leagues go, uh, no, because we need to make sure that these crybaby refs are doing okay. You've said it. They make good money. They make incredible salaries, especially since none of these positions are year-round. Like, none of these positions are year-round. And I'm no. sure that the refs would all tell me, like, oh, well, there's conferences and we need to make sure. It's like, yeah, okay, guys. Yeah, whatever. Uh, if, like I said... I, no, I'm not going to get into ageism here, but it's just uh, further. I'm not going to further get into ageism because I'm like, you know. Listen, how, I'm, I, I'm the wrong guy to, to, to be sympathetic to officials because we. I think the last time we did officials talk on uh, an episode of Good Show, my big yeah. take was 
you should be allowed to say anything you want. Like, of course, no, I, to- short I totally agree. Of, okay, but like talking thing. about an official's family, yeah, buddy. This is where I'm going with the take. What we really need to do with officials is evaluate why it is that we have to bend the knee to them because we all know that if you remove these crappy officials, the guys below them are the replacement refs that blew the Seattle game, right, with the Packers where they're like, two guys come in and make two different calls and they panic and go, touchdown. That's what the next layer is. That these are the the creme de la creme. These are the best guys, and they're horrible. There's like four good ones in every sport. There's like four guys that are competent officials. The rest of them are just total bums. We need to evaluate the way in which we – covet officials as a society (laughs) we need to make sure that if you're in an arena and there's a hockey parent that berates an official at a young age that person's put in prison (laughs) you know like you cannot do this you're at a baseball game you're yelling at the child umpire that we're trying to groom for a lifelong this should be a positive experience we should be treating the young officials with the same respect that we give to the athletes because if we train them up with being like you are a cherished member of society and that this is a role that we highly covet, then by the time they get to those positions where someone is swearing at them, where someone is disagreeing with them, they're going, I'm just as much of a star as you. I'm an incredible umpire. I'm an incredible referee. I care deeply about my position because it's cared in society about this. I'm not just a pariah everywhere I go. This is the true take. This is the true take. What do you think? This is what it's all been building towards. We need to treat officials better. We, we need, need a better more development star, system. Star officials. By the way, there's a Buddy, great think about Canada, Michael Lewis Canada hockey any... joke. The Canada that? hockey joke, right? Whenever there's a bad goaltending performance, it's like hockey summit. It's like how yeah. many official summits should we have had in sports by now, right? Like we need an official summit. Let's figure this out. How do we build better officials? How do we groom them? How do we make them better? Michael Lewis has a great podcast about this very subject. It's like a ten-parter talking to officials about how difficult it is and why anyone would ever want to go so into, hard. into the profession. Uh, I don't. Yeah, it, it's it's like politicians, right? Like, yeah, no offense no. to politicians, it's not, not, not the, the best of us. It's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not the best of us. Maybe we should, yeah. you know, find a way to, you know, kind of steer the best of us towards that profession. Maybe we'd all be better off. Um, I think that's kind of what the money is for, though. Honestly, the the money is supposed to be the panacea, the cure-all for all this. You do get paid that much money. Well, again, like a part-time job. And there is a level of celebrity. Like Joey Crawford... Joey Crawford's a, a, a big celebrity. Angel so you're Hernandez. saying what we but, – but you're the worst. You're a politician you're, right now. You're going like, our structures are fine. You know, it's just mm-hmm. – it's a few bad eggs, and there is a lot of reward. It's oh. mostly good. You're for status quo. I'm for change. I'm for improvement. I am here to tell well, you that things I mean, can be better. And you, old rich Ben Ennis, want the hierarchies to stay the same. You want everything to stay status quo. Well, Joey Crawford is living out your dream scenario, right? That's, that's hey, our celebrity yeah. officials. Uh, people no. recognize us on the street. No, How's that working out? You're missing the point. You're missing the point entirely. <laughs> it's not about celebrity officials. It's about treating officials with, like, at a young age, with a lot more, wow, that's so awesome, you're official. When you meet a kid who's official, okay, like, I have a cousin who tried to become yeah. an official, right? And it's the dorkiest yeah. thing on earth. 
Like oh when he God. was explaining, whenever he's tried to explain it to me, like it is, it's it's impossible to feign interest. I, I can feign interest in a lot of things. I yeah. cannot feign interest in the life because you know why? Because it's like you gotta read and you gotta do horrible no, minor I'm not hockey reading. Games and you gotta oh. get berated. No, but it's this is all while they get no money. I'm dude. I'm telling you, it is horrific trying to make it as a referee. Like it is horrific trying to make it as an actual official. This is not some kind of like leap up a position and get to something that's very good or prestigious. It is a long, grueling, horrific ride. And so, yeah, no wonder that the people who end up getting there in a lot of cases, you go like, oh, what's up with this dude? He's very odd. And you go, yeah, because that's what you kind of have to be to get here in this profession. Anyway, we've got to take a quick break, and I want to come back and talk to you about uh, John Morosi's atom bomb from last week. And, uh, yeah, what your ideal situation is at short. Uh, quick break. We're back with Ben Ennis. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Hey, uh, do you think Tom Brady is a sympathetic figure now? Sort of. Like, yeah, I, me too. I, I think he's, guess what? He's kind of like us, that he has, he's not perfect, right? Despite the fact that he eats uh, 100 times more avocados than you and I. Like, he's, uh-huh. he's similar in a lot of ways, that he has his failings. He's not perfect, okay? Dude. He kisses his children way too long on the lips, and that, yeah, yeah he, he has, he has trouble at home. Yeah. Like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you, once you saw the collage of how long you're planted with your kids on the lips, just reevaluate your way of doing that business? Hmm. Like, once there's, like, a hundred photos of you, like, enough where we can make, like, you know when they make people's faces out of photos? Like, the no. back, like... You take a, a bunch of what? little photos. You take a bunch of photos. You shrink oh, them all yes. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you combine yes. all the photos in an sure. artistic way to make someone's yeah. face. Like, you could There's do that. that. The funniest thing you could do would be, like, Tom Brady kissing his kid on the lips hard with using all different yeah. photos of him kissing his kid on the lips hard. Like, that's funny. Anyway, that's creepy, enough of this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, funny and creepy. Anyway, this is not my point. I got sidetracked because I do think that's hilarious. Uh I, I'm starting to wonder if, like, there's conspiracy stuff here. Like, he got this divorce all as a part of football. Because I was thinking about this. Like, everybody was hating on Brady, right? Everyone was like, look at this idiot. He came back and his team sucks and he's losing his supermodel wife. He's an idiot. He's an idiot. He's an idiot. He's old. He's washed. He's finally done. And all of a sudden, they're, like, winning games. I watched my Seahawks play Tom Brady in the morning. You know how he looked? He, yeah, he looked like Tom, Tom Brady. Brady. Yeah, yeah, he looked, like, exactly like Tom Brady. Tom's like the guy who was, game, but yeah. Dude, but now all of a sudden they got that guy, White, who's just yeah, like, White. got a little burst. Like, he's got a little burst. They figured out, like, hey, don't give it to old Lenny. Give it to this guy, mm-hmm. White. Anyway, now he's, like, gone through a divorce. His wife has apparently decided to date the jiu-jitsu instructor, like, a week after the paperwork was filed, which is tough. <laughs> She's on vacation with him. Yeah. People are looking at Tom Brady going, like you just said, he's just like us, which is an insane thing to think. That might actually be Tom Brady's greatest accomplishment, is that he has gone from a guy who was, like, Trump supporter, uh, weird dude who's down in the Florida, like bilking people during the pandemic, needing government money for his TB12 method, uh, as he's married to like a gajillionaire woman, supermodel, has the life that we all covet, wins a Super Bowl, has cheating stuff allegations, not with her, I mean like with uh, his Patriot Super Bowl. Nobody likes Tom Brady. All of a sudden, Tom Brady, he's on the team where you're going, this team might be down and out, and I'm kind of rooting for Tom Brady to get one more ride, and oh, you know, Tom without Giselle, poor guy, like I hope he can round out in a form. This might be the greatest thing he's ever done. This is an incredible accomplishment by him 
Well, and he's leaning into it hard, right? Like, how often do you ever hear Tom Brady, and even though it's very little, but, like, how much do we ever hear Tom Brady talk about his personal life? Like, he's not shying away from it. Peter yeah. King, I just uh, we have him on every Monday on my show. Peter King yeah, was in Germany I and did a, a one. I leave five stars. Yeah, good, very good. Peter King did a like an after the game three minute one on one with Tom Brady, and it was like one of the first things he said. It's like you may think I have this perfect life, but you know what? Yeah, it hasn't been perfect for me this year off the field. He's leaning into it because he knows that that sells, and and maybe it's a little bit of an excuse for you know this team underachieving up until the last couple of weeks and they needed a massive comeback to beat a horrible Rams team and then they beat your overachieving uh, Seahawks team but Whoa, yeah don't say overachieving they're about to uh, they're about to win three more games uh, like three straight anyways don't don't be rude but yeah I do think it's funny that people are picturing him like uh, uh, Kirk Van Houten that's it right Melshouse's Mel- yes. Mel- dad yeah working at the crack uh, factory yeah, no, where we, we picture him where he's like, I sleep in a race car bed, <laughs> you know, with the rest of the world. Like, what about you? I sleep, I in, sleep a, in a comfy yeah. bed with my beautiful wife. Yeah. yeah, people are picturing Tom Brady like that. Like, he's having a really rough go. I'm sure he's just been totally fine. His only Giselle that's moved on with the jiu-jitsu instructor, Tom, would never. He's at home crying in the race car bed alone. Oh, poor guy. Anyway, I, I do think that he's sympathetic, and I weirdly – like it feels like this is the greatest trick the devil devil ever pulled. It's not not knowing he exists. It's making you go from a life of rooting against him, which has been me, to all of a sudden me going on a Sunday morning watching him beat my team and going, "It's nice having Tom Brady back." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> you know, like, yeah, dude, I had that moment. Like it was, it was, it was bad. I went, "Hey, good for Tom. Like good for Tom. He's going to do a lot." Like, and I saw the Giselle report like right before, it, and it was great too because the report was accompanied with Tom Brady not too pleased that Giselle has moved on so quickly after the divorce. Oh, really? I was like, "Uh, you yeah, <laughs> you need a report for that." I was like, yeah. <laughs> "Like we need, we need some sourcing on this one. Someone around Tom Brady's camp gave you that one." Like, hey, uh, the girl I used to be seeing for a very long time and I have children with uh, dated someone new, and I am not a fan of this new guy. Wow. Like, do you think there's anything more? Okay, this is a very mature thing, but it's pretty wild when a guy gets along with his ex's new guy. Is it? Uh, yeah, it's it's wild. I think it's uh, embarrassing. It's like good like, when there's kids involved and and you have to be like an adult sure, in a divorce. Sure, cordial, cool. but like yeah, yeah, like hanging out one on one, playing golf. Yeah. You know, no, that's... <laughs> going out for beers. Like, how's yeah. my ex? We should study doing? those guys' brains. Yeah. Like when there's CTE guys, <laughs> like we? it's just study like, those how do guys we? Brains. Yeah, how do we create future humans who don't have that gene? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, should we be like trying to get more of those guys and become a no, more mature populace or fewer? No. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> got to breed those fellows out. Actually, they're probably breeding themselves out already. Like that's probably the the move. Anyway, uh, so John Morosi last week. I couldn't wait to talk to you about this. It's kind of like falling out of the news cycle. That's why I definitely wanted to do a good hour early in the week. He's on MLB Network and he's talking about how like the Jays catchers are coveted right and why wouldn't they be and i've been joking a lot about how you in your eyes i'm guessing there's only two catchers that are available right like you're not trading alejandro kirk uh, oh, you're out of the club. You're out. You're out. You hesitated. Well, that was I a mean, test. the only reason I would be trading Alejandro Kirk is because, well, obviously the the value okay. goes Kirk one, or maybe Moreno one. Honestly, Kirk and Moreno though are the top of the food chain yeah, when it comes obvious. to trade value, right? And Danny Jansen's the least valuable, so you're going to get the least in return for Danny Jansen. So if you if you are making a big splash and you you are of the belief that 
Alejandro Kirk's body probably not going to withstand the rigors of being a number one catcher over the long haul and that you're trading it at the peak of his powers coming off a silver slugger. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not adverse to that idea. I like oh, the okay. player, but that's why I... I, th I think I'd be open to trading him in wow, the right okay. circumstance. I just, yeah, just this is a kind of a shocking admission from you publicly. This is something that you would probably say quietly because now you've just lost all the high ground you had with me as a guy who, you know, was not. Uh, I understand. Unlike most fans of, of pro sports, I understand that you have to give up value to receive yeah. value in a trade. Like, I <laughs> no, do I understand saw, that. Dude, I, I saw Leafs. Like, again, this is just whatever. It's just this morning Twitter scroll. But I did see a Leafs trade that was someone getting Chikrin to the Leafs for, like, second and third round picks with, okay, uh, like, go. Pierre Engvall thrown in there. Sure. I was like, this yeah. is really good that you believe yeah. that these are the ways that things get. Get it's Freddie Goche back and then trade him again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, get Freddie Goche back. Oh man, I there was a moment where I was into the goat. Uh, yeah, sure. Right. Okay, so the catcher thing I think is obvious though, right? And we can explore it maybe at some other point in the off season. But yeah, like you, you said, it it's some combination of those guys, the power rankings, and whichever guy the Jays end up moving is probably going to be a sliding scale of value they get in return. It'd be I think the, the more interesting conversation is like, are you using those guys for a targeted acquisition, or are you doing what I was saying? the Leafs do, which is be patient, wait, and see what the best offer is depending on, like, essentially whatever position you can get for those guys. Like, maximize, optimize value. Um, but at the end of it, he throws in this whole, hey, and actually, there's a scenario here where the Jays would spend money on one of these shortstops and flip Bo Bichette because they're not comfortable with both of those guys walking into free agency together. I'm starting to think, like, I'm starting to think this is now an inevitability. Like, this isn't a hot take. I'm not saying this offseason, but I think eventually this is the take, that Boba Shed is going to be traded from the Toronto Blue Jays. I, I guess. Um, I, the, the thing that makes it hard when you're thinking about Boba Shed's long-term viability as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays is that Defense at that position is so much more important than defense at almost any other position. Like center field, up the middle, catcher, like those are the most important defensive positions. And a year ago, I would have told you they were fine with Bobochet at shortstop, but this year they certainly weren't. They they really weren't. That that's just not that's not a sustainable way. That ain't no way to live unless you have a future Hall of Famer and unless you're you're. Your insulation around that guy is what, you know, the dynasty Yankees had around Derek Jeter and that they could spend at the, the top of Major League payrolls. And if this Blue Jays team does want to spend $300 million on payroll, sure, Bobochette can be your shortstop. But it's unlikely that they're going to end up in that stratosphere. They're going to be over $200 million or in around $200 million yeah. in payroll this season. Um, so you can't afford to be a, a, a porous bottom five defensive team at that position, even if the guy that's hitting in that position is an elite offensive producer in Bo Bichette, and it, especially if he's going to depart immediately uh, upon reaching free agency, which it does feel like he is. And it doesn't, and it, it may just be, you know, uh, placating the fan base when Vlad talks about talking extension, but at least he has said something. Like, there is more yeah. of an indication that Vlad is open to it. There's absolutely, like, less than none when it comes to Bo Bichette. Dude, I just, I do not think that they're re-signing both guys. I, and if there was ever a shot at doing that, I think that it would have already been done with one of them, right? Like, one of them is already under contract, and now you're discussing, hey, the potential of potentially getting the other guy done. 
to me, um, that's over with now. Like, this is now a runway where you're going to get one of the two, and the more likely guy is Vlad. So now the question is, if you really feel like that's the case, and hey, if I'm wrong, Blue Jays, like, sign both guys, great. Like, people will be very, very happy having two stud young guys under contract and you proving to the world that you have the money to do this. If you're not going to re-sign him and you know that this is the case, don't you... I know I just said it doesn't have to be this offseason, but kind of doesn't it have to be this offseason. There's three shortstops available in free agency yeah. that you could go and sign. You're in your competitive window, and you're never going to get back more for Boba Shet than you are right now. Yeah, well, and I mean, all three of them are better defenders at the position than Boba Shet. I mean, the one guy, Dansby Swanson, is the. No, no, I'm not counting him. Offense. That's the fourth guy. That's the fourth guy. That's I'm not counting Dansby Swanson. Well, and I don't think Xander Bogarts is honestly all that much of an improvement defensively at that position. While he's a way better hitter. Uh, even than uh, a Bobochet, and boy, it would be great to take one of the guys from inside the division and 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 yeah, be act like the big boy Yankees and Red Sox runs. I, I think you're talking about two guys. You're talking about Trey Turner and Carlos Correa, who I'm are actually mostly just talking about Carlos Correa. Where that should be, uh, if that, if I'm the Blue Jays, the number one priority of this offseason is acquire Carlos Correa and flip Bobochet. I mean, I'm I'm ideal world. You keep both, honestly, and Bo yeah, yeah. okay, swallows populism. his pride and and plays yeah, okay. play yeah. second base. Yeah. But yeah, now uh, now who's doing the fan thing of like, oh, like oh, and then Bo well, is it? I was just saying, up, if man, if on. I was you know billionaire owner, I would spend two hundred and ninety million dollars on payroll. Yeah, of course, and, and, yeah, of course and you would. Get yeah. all the free agents, but no, yeah, oh, you would, of course. Yeah, you and would then, not actually. You'd be the literally the worst situation oh, yeah. well, for Toronto as an owner. I probably wouldn't you'd be own the biggest anything. penny pincher. Like you would. Oh yeah. If, oh my God, it would be horrible. The Jays every year, you'd be like every press conference you would have would be the Rays can do it, we can do it. That would be you every <laughs> single time. That would be you. Anyway, sorry. Go on. Go on with the point about Mo in your little ideal world. No, come on. Get rid of that one. Just tell the uh, truth. If they acquire yeah. Carlos Correa, Bo's gone. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, you probably have to do one before the other because you're not acquiring a shortstop and then the rest of Major League Baseball looking at you and saying, okay, now we got you over a barrel because now we know you, you got to trade this guy because he may I talk. I, I mean, he, you, you think the always dour, always sour Bo Bichette is going to be yeah. super pleased if you go out and sign Carlos Correa? The guy uh, who at times I have been guilty of in private calling the powder? Yeah, the powder is, is probably not going to make nice, uh, despite the fact that, hey, he was bumped down. Got to give him credit for getting yeah, bumped down to I seventh do. in the order. I do. And then, you know, rebounding and, and finishing the season as the American League leader in hits again, I which do. was, again, mind-boggling. Yeah, uh, could you shore up a number of different holes? Could you diversify the offense? Could you increase mm -hmm. your starting pitching depth with one fell swoop and trade a guy that might be if not at the top of his market value, that was probably at the end of last year, but pretty pretty damn close considering the way he finished the year. And honestly, here's the other thing that is incredible as Bobichet has been offensively two years in a row. I mean, basically ever since he stepped foot on a Major League Baseball field, his type of offense, the the Javi Baez type of offense, man, it's it's tough. It's tough to do that year over year over year. Only the elite of the elite can do it, and he is that. But as soon as you lose, like, a little modicum of bat speed, it yeah. goes downhill super quick. The yes, thing is, Carlos Correa is 29, right? So you're, you, we all know that the window is the, the next couple of years. And, but it is. And but the back end the of whatever, whatever you sign Carlos Correa to the last couple of years is going to be 
probably sunk cost, but um, yeah. Do I like Carlos Correa over Bo Bichette? I certainly do. Yeah, buddy. The last couple of years of any free agent in any sport should be looked at as that is the cost of doing business. Like no one, how how rare is it for someone to sign a contract, their second contract, or you go, yeah, this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome at the end of it. But when are the experiences, like even, like think about one of the... Max Scherzer. So it's bad when you do it with guys like Tanner Rourke and you go, oh, right. But even the Hunjin Ryu acquisition, he played like 10 games in a pandemic season in front of no fans. <laughs> And what yeah. Blue Jays fan isn't doing that one again, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Who, who's not signing up for that one year of Hunjin Ryu over again? Um, I think that crying about the future of those contracts, that's a future you problem. Like, mm-hmm. figure out the front end and go with the competitive window. The Blue Jays are very close. But I think that even the second part of what you said about him slowing down, man, remember that the Blue Jays were linked to Javi Baez? Like, they've been flirting with shortstop ideas for a while now. And, and I think that deep down, that's the true serum injection. You give the true serum injection to this front office and you go, hey, is, do you even want Bo Bichette to be the short, shortstop of the future? And they go, no, because he's yeah. in his peak prowess athletically right now with both his bat speed and the ground he can cover. Like, what would Bo Bichette be if he loses even like half a step? Because the thing he does well now in, at short is cover ground, right? Mm-hmm. What happens when he doesn't do that as well? Like, I don't think that they even want to hand him that long-term contract. And so, again, to me, the time to do the business is now if that's how you feel about the future. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, you really have to win this trade, right? Because it's not a, hey, it's, it's not a Juan Soto deal where it's like nothing but take future back a assets. Bunch of and, yeah, no, no. Yeah, no. And, and you remake your, your – you, you need somebody who's either in the major leagues right now or somebody you believe is a, a, a gem, a diamond in the rough that can crack an opening day roster for you. But it's just imagine – Imagine the flexibility of this Blue Jays offseason if all of a sudden they said, yeah, um, come approach us about our catchers and our shortstop. Like, you just have a really, like, you have a real ability to just take on a different level of revamping and restructuring your baseball team than before. If you're in the camp of run it back and you're in the camp of they just need a relief pitcher or two and maybe a depth starter, fine, but I'm not. Like, I don't know. I, I just, I kind of think that this is the. I'm not convinced that this is the time because I don't want to just trade a guy like Bo Bichette for whatever is out there. You're right. I would need to see what the return is. But if you realistically think that you can get the budget to get in the Carlos Correa conversation or the Trey Turner conversation, I I think that this is the offseason to do it. You've got a bunch of shortstops that are available. You've got a, a shortstop of your own that in the trade market would be highly coveted, still young. A lot of teams could talk themselves into, especially with some of the star power attached. You improve your team defensively, maybe offensively, maybe more diverse. It's just there's a lot of reasons to do it. Anyways, I got to let you run. This was fun. You got a final thought? No, I was just going to say that it's it's a lot of change for a team that won 92 games yeah. and then, you know, bowed out in two games. I get it in the postseason, but had a seven-run lead uh, in the second game of a postseason game. How many games um, do you think I'm, they would have won from the Astros? Well, I mean, I did see them play the Astros six okay. times at the beginning of the season and split those games. It was a different team at the time, but... Just um, answer the question. I didn't ask you, did you watch the Astros game? They would have won four year. against the Astros. Okay, yeah. They would have beaten the Astros yeah. in an American League <laughs> championship yeah, series. Yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's they would have won a World hey, Series. Well, I don't know. It's, it's, it yeah, it's the playoffs. Yeah. No, they run it back. Uh, I, I think that you can make the team better and set up better for the future. 
I'm just saying, you have to consider these moves. I, I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm just like a, a thinker though. Like I'm not just a populist like you who's trying to, yeah. we both right. saw who we were as politicians today, right? Like I'm for change and for, um, you know, the youth and trying to make the world a better place. And you're about status quo. And yeah. that's like literally that like you go back Lower to Lower taxes. Efficient. But yeah, keep yes, everything but, the same. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bananas. Fan drive later today. Thanks as always, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. See ya. Uh, quick break. Let's come back. Let's talk to CJ Mouse. 16 seasons in the NBA. Host of Strictly Hoops with CJ Miles. And I'm guessing, big Dallas Cowboys fan, your team got screwed this week. I, I think that game was rigged. I, I talked to Greg Jennings yesterday, and he, he wouldn't confess the, like, Green Bay rig stuff at Lambeau, but I, I think you and I both know it's true. I mean, it is what it is. I ain't going to get there. I, I, we can talk basketball. <laughs> uh, right, so, uh, first thing, how bad do you think Nick Nurse wanted to beat Dwayne Casey yesterday? He had four in a row on him, nine of his last 12. Um. Yeah. I mean, even the guy, the whole team wants to go in there because we, you're well aware of like records like that. You know what I mean? Like knowing that going to certain buildings you haven't won in a while and things like that. You want to take that off the board. Like, um, and those are feel good momentum wins, especially while a bunch of guys playing. Nick Nurse especially, though, right? Like, that guy seems like he would be very in tune with every single record that's going on, every single thing that's happening, and just seems like one of the most competitive dudes on the planet. He is, and I think he's well aware of I think, I think, but I also think he's so much of a, a mad scientist type of thing, mastermind type of thing. He's also, like, always thinking ahead of, like, and, know, and now that he's got a real good understanding with these years under his belt and a championship of how seasons go, I think he's more worried about keeping his finger on the pulse of, like, controlling emotions and making sure guys get playing time and making sure we can develop some guys as the season goes in case, like last night, we have only four players available to play in the game, <laughs> like, that I got these guys that are ready to go. Um, but he definitely wants to, wants to win that game. Um, just, you know, who doesn't want to beat the guy that gave him a chance, you know? Yeah, of course. I just, you know, he's looking across and he sees Rex Galamy and he sees Dwayne Casey and everybody's going to be talking. Yeah. Like, he has to know that the story, if he loses to that Pistons team, isn't going to be, hey, I was missing four rotation players. It's Dwayne Casey oh, continues to own the Raptors, right? And that has to bother you going into a game. Like, that has to. Like, there's just no way. Yeah. 1,000%. It has to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you, you definitely want to get that out of the way. Like, even though that stuff it'll it'll come and go but you just don't want to hear it like of course you don't, as a competitor you don't want to hear that you want to go in you want to win you want to um take that like we said take that off the board give coach Kate a little jab when you shake his hand after the game say i got yeah. you and keep it moving you know yeah, it's funny, though, too, because from a Raptors fan standpoint, like, there's no discussion even about it. Everybody loves Dwayne Casey here. Um, he'll always have a place in terms of helping the Raptors get to where they got. Uh, but nobody thinks, like, hey, they made the wrong decision as a coach because they ended up with the guy who was a champion. Uh, yeah, I think that it's yeah. kind of a perfect situation. The thing I miss most about Dwayne Casey was just the, the post-game raspy throat. Like, this guy, it, like, I, it never has there ever been anyone who needed lozenge commercials worse than Casey or just, like, ways to make his throat feel better you feel bad watching the media ask him questions and you they're like we tried our best tonight i was like please yeah, please exactly. let him get down please don't make him answer these questions so all right they win
again, and I actually thought that must be uh, kind of a fun game for Nick Nurse because normally he's pretty set in a lot of his rotations. Uh, he he mm-hmm. plays his star players a lot, and this is a game where he got to tinker with the bench a little bit more. He gets to you know, try a bunch of different looks for his team. Has to be a decent little experiment. But I am going to start with something that you know was a tougher watch in the game. Scotty Barnes is, is in a slump right now. Um, his true shooting percentage is really like has fallen off a cliff. Uh, I wonder what you think about just like sophomore slumps in general. Do you really believe in them, or is this just something that we, as sort of media or people around games, kind of attach to struggles for second-year players because it's like confirmation bias? I think it's a. Uh, I mean, we obviously have data that shows that it's somewhat true, right? So you can't ignore it. Um. I do think that you get to it, maybe like two games turns into ten because you start thinking about it as a player. Yeah. Like, oh, the sophomore slump's coming. I think there's a little bit of a game played on both sides, but there's definitely some, um, especially for a guy like Scotty, there's some steps that have to be taken. He's a guy who's going to be a great, great player, monumental cornerstone for this organization for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. So coming off rookie of the year, you want to keep going upwards. And there's some um, there's a there's a pressure that you carry in yourself to keep building to keep going. So a little bit of that is just coming from a standpoint of him trying to make sure that he you know he gets to that excellence. And and you and you and you got to know him being his age, he's gonna go through some things. Scout reports are different than they were last year on him. People are guarding him different. Um, he's adding things to his game. He's trying to do certain things to get more responsibility. So you got to like adjust to that mentally, physically. The way you prepare, like, things change, and he's just going through that change. See, I, I see stuff with him that clearly he's going to want to improve, right, like from a just basketball playing standpoint. Mm-hmm. But what what I was seeing last night is a guy who might be struggling with the confidence, and it might be more of that, like, the two games turns into ten thing. Like, some of those turnovers he had yesterday, I'm going, this is a guy who just, it feels like he's trying to do a little bit too much right now, who feels like he has maybe a little bit too much pressure on his shoulders. And I don't and I don't even think the pressure part is more him just wanting to be great, you know? Yeah, the internal like, I pressure, I should have said, anybody not else the fan pressure. I think he – yeah, it's just him, and which is what you want a player to put on himself. You just got to find a way to not um, not make his teeth dull, but just get him to slow down a little bit, you know? Like, he, he wants it so bad, and you got to push through it. You got to keep playing. You got to keep trying to make plays. But sometimes you have to – Make not a full step, just come off the gas a little bit, just so you can slow it down a little bit for you. Oh, we just lost CJ. That was the the dreaded ping of death. Uh, the just immediate, like you know what though? I respect that we have that built in that you can hear that like bunk. Like, I just know I have to wait and go CJ, CJ. It's the worst when somebody drops off and you don't get the ping of death. Yeah, I. I think Scotty Barnes is going to be fine. And when I say pressure, I mean the pressure that he's putting on himself. Because I don't think there's market pressure. I don't think that the team puts too much pressure on him because they have a good infrastructure of veteran players. Even last night, like, as much as you wanted to see Scotty Barnes dominate that Pistons team, uh, for me, anyways, going into the game, the bigger question was what kind of a game is OG Ananobi going to have? Like, even with three starters, three offensive players out of the game, I wasn't looking for my first thing as I wonder what Scotty Barnes is going to do offensively. Like, to, I think that this fan base in general has a pretty good feel for its players. People get, like, really excited about the, a lot of the Raptors players. I think that, 
just like any market, they probably overvalue compared to other places. But I don't think that Barnes has too much pressure on his shoulders from an outside standpoint. Media loves him. Uh, he's the darling of a city. But yeah, his face is starting to be on things. And I would guess that for a guy like him, he won Rookie of the Year. He wants to come in here. He wants to show out this season. And so I just think of his pressure as, yes, probably internal and a little bit of what we're seeing so far. A guy who's trying to expand his game. And, yeah, he's trying to feel a little bit of that heat on himself when he doesn't have the night that he wants to, to have. Uh, CJ Miles joins us again. Yeah, we were just talking about the pressure that Scotty Barnes is probably putting on his shoulders and how much it kind of relates to sophomore struggles. Um, from an actual, like, basketball standpoint, though, CJ, what do you think about his shooting mechanics? I think they're improving. Um, I think that's um, one of the biggest things. And I think that's just comfortability. Like, even when you watch – so you watch Pascal. Yeah. Over the past few years, how he's just slowly added bit by bit to be even more comfortable in more situations. So I think you start like he's gotten much better at um, catching his shoot. Like his mechanics have gotten better and smoother. Now it's about getting better off the dribble, getting better in the post and things like that, finding different ways to get shots. Because that's what we're talking about, expanding, right? So it's taking every opportunity as it comes. So the better he becomes at catch and shoot, the better I'm, the better he's able to expand his driving lanes and his passing ability that we've seen this year from him playing point guard. Um, but I think he's, he's done such a good job with his elbow and making sure it's just smoother. We talked about finding shot pockets, and I think the more and more reps, the more and more he's able to find that shot pocket without thinking about it. How much of that happens actually like in season? Like when you working on that, because I would imagine that you get some stuff from the the off season, you get your pointers, and then in season you're just kind of like making sure that you're sticking to that game plan. Or are you actually getting stuff where you would overhaul some stuff actually throughout the year? It's, it's a, um, I think with shooting, it's a never ending process. I think you go into the, obviously you go into the summer with the idea of like really, really taking a, a microscope on certain things and going, but like you create in a routine to take into the season. That's the whole point of the summer. At least it was for me, was to create a routine based off the shots I've been getting and the things that were problems last year to take into the season that keep those problems at bay. So yeah. anything that he was doing to work on his follow-through or his elbow, he's doing those same things, or at least he should be before and after practice. Like I was yeah. a guy, form shooting every day. There's, there's like a certain – there's a t- 10 minutes before we start the workout I have to do the same thing every day. These things are non-negotiable. There's a, a section of ball hand, a section of form shooting, a section of certain shots that work on, that kind of bleed over into everything that we, the grand scheme of things. I have to do these things every day. See, I, I wonder with him if part of this slump was simply like, he looks like a guy who spent a lot of time trying to work on his shot during the off season and trying to, yeah, uh-huh. stretch the floor a little bit. And he shows up. And he's starting to shoot a bunch of threes. And I, I'm like a read between the lines guy, right? Like, I love that stuff. I like narrative craft, whatever. And Nurse has a couple of quotes of, hey, we want to see him get to the rim. Like, that's still the, the focus. Like, this guy is someone that we really want to see get to the basket and maybe not settle uh-huh. for too many shots. Start settling for a few too many shots. The shot doesn't start falling the same way that you kind of hoped and anticipated it would. And now you're a little bit discombobulated. Maybe you lose a little bit of the confidence in some of the stuff that, uh, yeah, you've been working on during an offseason that you don't have the reps in the NBA of going through, like, that slump and so they can get a little bit bigger and a little bit longer when you're not seeing the results. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. That can happen, and it can happen to guys that who have had reps. Just based off, there could be like we also got to look at. There could be a situation where you play 
say you play five or six really good defensive teams in a row mm-hmm. while you're in the midst of this slump, and they notice the slump, and they do a good job of picking on those things. Like, he's not shooting. Like, we used to look at when you're going in to play a team, like, I was big on looking at the last five games. I don't even know what he's shooting for the entire year. I want to know because I don't want to let him get back hot, but the last five games will tell me at least how I'm going to guard a guy to start the game. Like, if he's shooting – 15% from three the last five games, I'm going to test that. Mm. So, when I, now, so now Scotty's coming into the game. We know he's not shooting well. We're going to go under every pick and roll. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna close out short. We're going to test his confidence today. And that itself can lead to some things in the slump because now he's thinking about it. He's like, oh, they know. You know what I mean? Type mm. of thing. And you have to kind of – got to fight that and then he's also a guy where we never want him to be a straight jump shooter right we just want it to be a piece of the arsenal to make everything else that much better so I'm not really worried about it I don't think he should be worried about shooting 48 percent from the three-point line on six attempts like he should just be able to make the open ones right now that'll just keep he just need to keep people honest because he's so good everywhere else that's all it is you just need to take one or two Go ahead. No, I was going to say that's it. That's exactly how I feel watching him. It's just like yeah. uh, it's it's weird because, you know, like obviously this is like not NBA. But to me, for him, it's just right now it's like simplifying. And I can see why that nurse messaging is like, hey, get to the rim. And to, it's like from yesterday's game alone, all I would be showing him is what Delano Banton did and going, why can't you do exactly this? Yeah, it's just about being an attack, right? And I think that's the other thing, too, that kind of comes with this. When you get into a little bit of slump, you're not solely in attack mode. You're thinking about the things you should do. Instead of just being free, which is when he's at his best, attacking, making reads, and just letting – and just taking what's being given to him instead of trying to trying to go into the game and be like, I'm going to make five threes today mm-hmm. because I haven't been making them. So I'm looking for those shots. And the game will give you everything you need if you if you if you play to your strengths, like – if he's driving, attacking, and doing what he does, he's going to get two or three wide-open threes based off the fact that he's blown by a guy three times. What do you think of Banton? And we know that easy I I love him. Yeah. He's I just think, a fun uh, player to watch. He gives off this – yeah, he gives off the same – like he intrigues you the same way DeLon Wright did, right? Long, athletic, yeah. lead guard. Um, I think he's faster straight line than, than DeLon is, but similar – He's even taller. He's longer and taller. Like, good defensively, active. I think he passes it well. He sees the floor. His height is an advantage to that. His jump shot has come a long way also since last year. But I think he has a great motor, a great energy. He's a great, great piece to come off the bench for your team right now. And I was happy to see him play the way he played last night because I've been in that position as a young guy when you're putting in all this work and you're showing promise, but there's guys in front of you that are just really, really good. And those guys are playing. These guys are veteran. These guys that, you know, there's, there's trust in these guys to win games. And you're not always getting the opportunity to showcase the work you're putting in. And even sometimes when you do play, it's spot minutes. And it's hard to really fall into the game and have a game like last night without that. Like last night he came to the arena knowing he was probably going to play 30 minutes. That's a different mentality going into a game. 
See, this is, man, uh, this is what, like, my theme of the show today for the Raptors, anyways, was, like, confidence, right? Because right now, I'm not seeing it with Scotty Barnes, and I think that he's got, like I said, a little bit too much that he's putting on himself. Like, he sees Siakam come out of the lineup, Gary Trent come out of the lineup, uh, Fred come out of the lineup, and he goes, man, I have to do more. I have to do more. I have to provide more. And his line of thinking is pressure, pressure, pressure. Whereas with Banton, you just said it. Those guys the lineup, and he goes, man, I get to play. I get to make a mistake and stay in the ballgame. Like, I get to take a three exactly. that I've been working on all offseason, knock it down or miss it, and Nurse isn't going to immediately be, like, staring me down and, exactly. and waiting for the next whistle to take me exactly. out of the ballgame. And those threes that he hit last night, like, those were – like, some of them were pretty nice. Like, his his – Shot looks great. He took him. He shot him with confidence. He was getting to the basket. He was playing defense. And I went, man, I I wonder if the most eye-opening thing out of a stretch like this is that we tend to, I think as media members especially, right, look at when there are injured players out of the lineup. Well, now it's about OG and it's about Scotty Barnes. But really is the thing that we're going to find out from the stretch, like other guys down the line, other bench players who maybe just actually need more minutes and who need a more defined role. Yeah, so it's both of those things, right? So um, you're looking at OG, right? OG coming into the year wanted to, wanted more responsibility, wanted more offensive chances, wanted to grow as a player on the other end. Um, he came in this year defensively and took it up another level, which allows him to get more minutes, which, which in turn allows him to try to grow offensively. So now these guys go out, right? Everything that he wants is this chance to prove it. Not to say go out there and just start jacking up stuff and going crazy, but it's a way to show and put trust in your coaching staff that, and in the guys that are out when they're watching, that you're another person we can lean on offensively. That's, so you have to take that a little bit into the situation, like as a player that's trying to grow. And then with the young guys, like you said, this is my chance to play the game freely and show that I belong, which is what all young guys are trying to do, right? Prove that they belong. It's such a a tough spot to do to do this in in the season when you're not playing because practices get shorter because you're playing more games. Um, the the guys in front of you get in even better rhythms and start to play even better. Like you got Pascal playing some of the best basketball of his life. He's not coming out of the game for more than eight minutes. You know what I mean? Like he's not. Freddie is a proven leader, a, a champion. A, they call him Steady Freddie for a reason. Like he, these are guys that have so much experience and um and so much they carry so much weight on the floor without with them in the in the rotation you're never going to be chosen over them like you can't catch up to them the only way you can get those minutes is be that good when you get there and that's impossible because you don't know man it's it's wild looking back on your career a little bit too though just comparing him to a guy like banton because i'm like you know uh when he was like he's in his second year i'm pretty sure that uh when you were his age you were in your sixth season in the nba and like how difficult that must have been as like an 18 and 19 year old trying to navigate all those different things so so that's the thing so that's why i i love to that's one other reason though it's, it's so i love to see young players like him and malachi have the games they have last night being able to showcase because i was that guy i was that guy for three years of my career essentially like there were nights I would not I'm working my tail off every day playing well in practice scrimmages playing well and all these things play well a little bit in the preseason things like that and then the season starts I either don't play or I start like if somebody doesn't play like if Andre Karolinko doesn't play then I start at the small four position and play 20 something minutes if he's playing I do not play at all 
no matter what game I had the day before. I, I remember vividly having games with scoring 25, 25 and 5, and then the next night playing four minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, it's that's hard a to build. Word. It's hard to build confidence like that. Like, it's hard. That's hard mentally because you keep thinking you're you're taking steps, you're taking strides, and then it's like ah, I got I got this this guy's coming back. You got to sit down. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and you had Jerry Sloan too, right? Like I imagine that he was a pretty harsh. Yeah, I had Jerry Sloan. Yeah, uh, like how yeah. was he I as mean, a guy with young guys? He actually had a good relationship. He yeah. just didn't like young guys. Yeah, it was that. Yeah, and I knew that, so um, that made it a little easier. Like I shouldn't say it made it easier, but that made it easier to, to grasp and comprehend sometimes, you know, because I knew his stance on young guys, but I always felt like how can I prove anything to you if I'm sitting beside you or sitting behind you in a suit? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, so that's it's a hard place to be for a young guy. And you got the fans who want to see the young guys. And, and you got people seeing you on the street saying, oh, that was a great game. You should play more. Like, it's, it's, it's so many things coming from so many ways. And you respect the vets in front of you, but, like, like I'm pretty sure Malachi wants Fred's job. Mm-hmm. He yeah. should. <laughs> yeah. Respectfully, respect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Respect. That's the only way he's gonna get better. He's gotta want that job. Yeah. OG wants OG Scotty. These guys want to be All Star type players. This is this is the only way you grow. Yeah. Uh, it's funny though because like if we're to even think like I don't think of the two coaches as overly similar like Nurse and uh, Jerry Sloan but if they do have like one commonality it is that like when I think of Jerry Sloan teams I'm like you played seven guys you know like you you didn't play a lot of teams you weren't like or uh, players and that's kind of Nick Nurse's modus operandi so far is like he has a tough time trusting some of his other guys like he'll take a little while to to give someone those opportunities so yeah good on Banton for making the most of his so uh last one for me anyways it's just on new G like you mentioned it you want to see more of the scoring package when guys go out it's both of those things it's the young guys trying to break in their opportunities but it's also the veteran guys who are kind of entering their primes like OG is showing why they should get more possessions or trusting that there are more game scenarios where like they can go out and get a bucket. What, what is, if there's one thing in particular that you want to see him from an offensive standpoint, because like the defense is pretty clear. It's hard to really nitpick at that in just about any way from an offensive standpoint. What's the one thing you really want to see OG improve or, or work on during a stretch like this? Um, just his patience, like how he picks his spots. Um, I think, I don't – you don't want because you're going to get more opportunities or you know there's a chance to, you don't want to speed up to get those opportunities. You want the game to give them to you. So you're going to get more minutes. You're going to get more opportunities just automatically because there's there's less rotation guys, less guys taking shots. So don't go into the game thinking I have to chase down an extra 10 shots. The game's going to give them to you. Just be patient. The offense is going to flow a little different but without Fred and Pascal – and then, we, like you said, we have a little bit of Scotty struggling right now. So, there's going to be different looks that's going to come. Just let them happen and and be, just be ready to take advantage. Like, just be ready to strike when it's time. I think that's the – and it's a hard thing to do because you want it, you know, and you want to go take it. But if I'm going to get 38 minutes tonight, I don't, I don't necessarily have to chase that as much. I just have to be aggressive as it comes. And the, and the defense will give me things – um, different looks like with Delano's pace is going to give me things. Uh, I'm going to get different shots. I'm going to get opportunities to to create mismatches and do things. Just play the game and let it, and just breathe. Just breathe and let it happen. Um, that's what I would. That's what I would say and want because he's got a lot of tools. 
He can post some. He's strong, big body. He gets some smaller players because they put bigger players on um, Scotty and Pascal. He should take advantage of that. Um, I think he rushes some of his threes. I think he's really great. Like last night he had the crazy dunk. He turns corners off handoffs and pass like his catching goals have improved so much. And I think the more and more he can attack like that, the more and more he'll get open threes because guys won't close out the same. CJ Miles, uh, it was really fun getting to pick your brain today, man. Uh, congrats on the new show, Strictly Hoops with CJ, which people can subscribe to wherever podcasts, wherever they're, they're available. And, uh, yeah, 16 years in the NBA, yeah. the lefty. Thanks so much for making time today, buddy. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Take care. Uh, CJ Miles, 16 years in the NBA. Um, that's really interesting. I, I like getting tidbits like that because that actually try that helps make me smarter as a viewer is thinking about the idea of OG rushing it a little bit at times. Because I just thought he would kind of simplify it as, hey, this is like you want to see him be a little bit more selective in the mid-range and maybe attack a little bit more. But I think a lot of that is built off of patience. Anyway, that was a weird game last night in the sense of I really thought it was just going to be an absolute chore to watch it, and it was fun because of Banton. And I hope Banton can lock down those minutes because, yeah, you, you see what he provided them last night and go – Oh, right. Maybe that's why they weren't desperate to go out and add somebody in free agency that could play point. Because that dude can handle it. He can get to the basket. He's creative. He looks to pass, but he's not afraid to shoot. And, yeah, when you're that size and you can handle it that way and get to those spots, like, what do you say, shooting pockets? Like, get to those areas on the floor that you feel most comfortable in. If all of a sudden one of those spots is like, he took some off-the-dribble threes last night. That was real confidence from that player. Again, it's a Detroit Pistons team that's missing also a couple of their guys. But even still, those were, those were impactful minutes. They do not win that game without Banton playing the way that he did. Exciting game for him. With that, it's time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19+. plus. Must be in Ontario. Please play responsibly. So my theme of this week um, is going to be respect the fishy lines because that, that's all I can think back on of betting from this past weekend was some lines that were just so fishy. Uh, and again, yesterday I said I thought that Washington was going to keep it close. I did not think they were going to end up winning that game. Um, that was a weird one. But some of the lines were just weird. Fishy, fishy, fishy lines. And so that's what I'm looking for this week. And so I actually think that part of my betting strategy going this weekend is a little bit against my gut and a little bit more towards, or I guess maybe going with my gut, but almost maybe in the opposite direction, where when a line feels like it's too easy, really thinking as to why that is. Like, why is this line looking like it's oversimplified? And so, there were a couple to me that, that stood out. The first one is Colts plus six and a half at home against the Eagles. That Eagles team just lost. They just ruined their perfect record. Maybe a little bit of the pressure is off, and now they're going to face a Colts team that, yeah, we're all very excited about my Colts, Jeff Saturday's Colts. It, this just seems a little overly ambitious. Like It feels like if the Colts lose that last game and the Eagles win yesterday, what are we, what are we talking about here? It feels like the commander's line. Like The commanders were sort of like 10.5, 11.5 point underdogs. 
we really feel like there's that much difference between them and the Colts? It's just a fishy line. Like, I have my... I, I don't know how to treat this one. Because I feel like this should absolutely be Eagles by double digits. And now I'm looking at it and I'm saying, uh, if Vegas is this in tune with having Colts as under a touchdown dogs against the team that we were talking about is like the most likely to come out of the NFC last week versus a team that a week ago we thought maybe he was going to be tanking. I just, uh, the, the radar is up. The ultimate stay away is Vegas Broncos. I think if you bet that, you're a lunatic. But the other one is Cowboys on the road at the Vikings. And the Vikings are underdogs in a pick'em. That is the ultimate fishy line of the week. Vikings just beat the Bills, and they're not three-point favorites against the Cowboys at home. I, I genuinely do not understand this line. All I will be saying is I might be betting the Cowboys strictly out of this line makes no sense. This line looks to be at least three points off, probably four, for what I would have guessed from the day before. That is the fishiest line of the week. That is the one that we're going to track throughout it. I'll ask Jobo and Pete what they think about theirs throughout the, the rest of the week. But, yeah, those are those are my two. Uh, quick break. Keith says Matt Murray looks very much ready. How much pressure is on him over this next little stretch? And how much of that is going to extend up to the front office? We're going to ask Nick Kiprios next. And again, that was Time for Action, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19+, plus. must be in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Nick Kiprios next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right, my boy Kipper was... I don't want to misquote, but it seemed like you were pretty down for trading for Jacob Chikrin a couple weeks ago. Like, the urgency. Hey, Leafs got to move in, use the pieces. Real Kipper on board. Nick Kiprios, what's up, buddy? How we doing? I'm good, pal. How are you? I'm good. You good? So You are ready for a big week here? You're coming off a couple of weekends now where you're like, are we over the hump? Are we over, you know, are we back into elite status for the Leafs? And now they go into a place where it's kind of tough to win. Thursday night, you have one of the faster teams in the league in New Jersey waiting for you. Where are you, pal? Buddy, I, you know where I'm at? I think that this is very much the same team from a year ago. <laughs> they look a lot of – they got a lot of similarities. Well, yeah, hold on for a second. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. You're saying a year ago they had 115 points. You're telling me they're going to end up with around 115 points again? I don't know if they're going to end up with the same point total, but I also kind of think like uh, – for me, there used to be this whole thing of make sure you get the points, make sure you get the points, make sure you finish up the standings, make sure you give yourself the best playoff advantage as possible. I, I wonder if with a group like that, if that is uh, like a burnout effect. I, I don't know if that they're, they're capable of staying locked in for an entire season like that. Like we've just seen too many blips from them where they'll have those stretches like we saw the one out west. And I just don't put it past them to not have one like that again. I also think that the goaltending is probably never going to be good enough where you're going to have those months like last year. Like they had a swoon last year during a month where Jack Campbell saved them. But I also think that the defense, like the team defense anyways, maybe not like the individual pieces, is really good in the regular season and is going to be able to paper over a lot of the inefficiency they have in net. This is actually where I want to start with you today. It's like last year at this mark, the Leafs were 19th in goals against. Now they're 8th. And that's without Muzzin. And I know Brody's now only missed one game. But it didn't look like, oh, my God, 
they're missing TJ Brody so bad. And I know it was against Canucks. It was an emotional night. They played really well. They're going to definitely miss him more against some of those teams that you just mentioned. But are we sure they like that they're not going to be fine defensively and that the bigger issue might be this team trying to cobble together a little bit more offense, especially if Matthew stays doing kind of what he's doing lately? Well, for sure, there's a bit of a, a role revolt reversal here where uh more question marks on why the offense hasn't gotten going uh you know opposed to keeping the puck out of your net in a general sense and i mean we went through this the other day on real kipper and born and uh you know the record looks decent in the standings um at what eight eight five and three if i'm not mistaken um but you know, you've won eight out of 16 games. So you're a 500 hockey club to start the season. And all of a sudden, that offense, that high-octane offense led by Matthews and, and Marner has somewhat struggled. And you, know, you would have expected them in both to be knocking on the door of uh, being in the top five in scoring at this point, not uh, knocking on the door of, uh, you know, 11 to 12 or a uh, point out of, uh, you know, being in the top 20. So that you, you got to think is, is only a matter of time before they get on a bit of a roll here. Um, I, I like the fact that, uh, you know, they brought that down from 19 to eight, like you said, but for me, it's still uh, seeing one too many quality chances. And at times Shalgren and Samsonov before they got hurt, uh, bailed them out, uh, not too much different from what we've seen over the years out of Freddie Anderson uh, that, you know, there are some nights Freddie was just lights out and, and stole points for them. And I'm not saying that both those guys are, are, are there, but they've been very solid. I mean, if you had to go down a checklist uh, with Kyle Dubas on his concerns, I, I don't think goaltending uh, would, would be at the top of the list. So I think, I think, to be honest with you, they're they're still trying to figure out who they are. Uh, they got another week, two weeks before you get to that, uh, you know that 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 line that you cross. Thanksgiving weekend's coming up in the, in America. That generally seems to be a a target date for a lot of teams. But I think I think for this team, you're you're still kind of trying to figure out exactly what you have. Yeah. Um... I, I like their team defense for the most part. Like I just, I do see a team that looks a little bit more committed to their own end. And sure, do they give up home plate opportunities sometimes? Like the Vegas games, in particular, you think about and go, boy, Vegas really gave them trouble. Vegas really was able to get to their spots and and really push Toronto. But for the most part, yeah, I I wonder if this is like where the good coaching shows up. Is like guys seem to be responsible. Guys seem to take away the middle of the ice on a lot of given nights. And do I want them to have a heavier blue liner come playoff time? Like, do I want somebody to potentially sub in for Erasmus Sandin if he can't adequately prove to have that job? But yeah, I, I do. But I actually think like there is more pressure on the goaltending now, Kipper, because it doesn't seem like they're asking them to do as much. Like, how much? do you think is on Matt Murray here? Like, what do you think the rope is going to be, especially with Samsonov coming back? Because you wrote a good column at the beginning of the year about how they should have named him the starter. They should have made sure that he knew his place, that there wasn't kind of like this goaltending battle. He's the guy. They brought him in. Do you think like he's going to have that for this next little stretch? Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. This was always geared towards Matt Murray and he has to be that guy. 
And if he's not, and Samsonov uh, starts, you know, or picks up where he left off, that's all fine and dandy. Uh, but there is just no guarantees that Samsonov will have what he what is needed between the ears, uh, or 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 the 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 basis of experience to 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 fall back on when things get hairy and. You know, if you want to go back down the path of Jack Campbell two, then you're going to put Samsonov in a position to do that. And if he craps out or he has some bad games, you're going to be no different than what you went through with Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell uh, came in and had to prove that he could hold his own, and he did that for the first half of the season. And then it somewhat collapsed on him a little bit. You run that risk uh, with uh, with Samsonov as well. At the very least, all I'm saying is because Matt Murray has had those two Stanley Cup runs and has hit some high levels and has shown that he doesn't break at certain points in the past, this is geared towards him going first on trying to carry that. And it'll happen as early as, uh, as tonight in, in a very difficult place historically for the Leafs to come out with wins. I think, I think this is completely throwing Matt Murray in the fire and, and we'll see if he's got the, the, the savvy, the experience uh, to fall back on as early as tonight to, to make sure that he can hold his own. Yeah. But isn't that like, if he's the guy who has it between the ears, then I want to see him in a game against Pittsburgh and say, yeah, well, this should yeah. be absolutely no problem for you. Like, this shouldn't be any issue. You played in Stanley Cup games. I don't want to – Yeah. I, I don't want Matt Murray to go, this was too hard, this was too soon, this was a tough opponent, this was a bad spot. My only thing is, is like, it seemed as though anyway that there was going to be like a genuine split uh, or that Matt Murray was going to be the 65, you know, 35 guy, right, coming out of the season had he stayed healthy, that there was going to be at least a really long rope for him. And given how Samsonov started this year, like, he was – really good for the Leafs. So maybe yeah. he's not that guy, or maybe he does come with a little bit of the Jack Campbell comparison in that uh, I would argue that he had a bit more than what Jack had when he came over from L.A. But even if you view him as the secondary option, you would you you would have got to think, though, that if Matt Murray struggles and some of the issues like the glove hand and the movement side to side, that those things start to crop up early on, that when Samsonov comes yeah. back healthy, like they'll do the roll the hot hand rather than have it be n- unquestionable Murray. Yeah, um, I, I think I think we're we're slowly getting there. But uh, as long as Matt Murray's physically healthy, I don't think that they'll they'll continue to kind of uh, go with Samsonov uh, and 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 think that he's the answer uh, as early as uh, you know late November, all of December. As long as Murray stays healthy, I don't think they're going to keep him on the sidelines, no matter what kind of uh, I think run Samsonov has, I think in, in general, and that's not just necessarily speaking to what you see from the eye test from these guys, but there's just an overall perception out there that the goalie isn't as important as he used to be. And you're, you're, you're really pushing majority of these teams are pushing for a one, one a, um, and they're more expendable than ever before, you know, outside of Vasilevsky and, 
you know, Shesterkin's dropped a little bit. New York, that's that that kind of shine is is down a little bit this year. It's very hard pressed to feel like you got a Carey Price Vasilevsky situation ever again with hockey clubs. And I I, I really think that uh, uh, they're they're going to try to get both these guys uh, humming. Um, and I'm not saying that they're going to be a you no know, an alternate uh, game situation. Um, but if they were leaning towards counting on someone more uh, when the chips are down, it's still very heavily, I think, skewed towards uh, Matt Murray. Uh, Sorokin is the new Shesterkin. It's all about Sorokin now. In New well, Shesterkin I'll tell you is what, news. Uh, uh, all of a sudden the Islanders uh, got yeah. a lot better, you know, yeah. on a couple of things, <laughs> and it starts from the net on out. But that yeah. blue line looks better. And Sorokin is uh, maybe the new Shesterkin right now in the National yeah. Hockey League. Yeah, the Leafs get them in a week from now. Yeah, I. that's why I just wonder about the pressure that's on Dubas with the Matt Murray thing is you're right. Goalies, this is the, the easiest defense of all of this, and it was the defense going into the offseason was, hey, what do you want us to do in net? Because there's not so many good goalies out there. Like there were people that wanted Jack Campbell's return and were saying, you got to return Jack Campbell. Why can't they just make sure that I'd rather have Jack at five than Murray at four, whatever. And you see the struggles that Campbell's going through in Edmonton, and it's a reminder of, yeah, this position is largely a lottery ticket. Everybody's rolling dice. Everybody's doing their absolute best to figure out that 1A, 1B situation. Um, It's just that if if Matt Murray gets hurt again or he's not able to be just like a competent NHL goaltender, which is all this team needs him to be, I I feel like that's that's really the real marker of trouble for Kyle Dubas. Like, that's going to be one for him that is going to be really, really hard to overcome because then you do not have really. all your chips no, in the sense. No, not really, because he will. Like so? He will. He will write off Matt Murray. He'll put him on IR and he'll go shopping for a, a goalie, probably on an existing contract. Where is Ottawa come February and March? Cam Talbot. I like Cam Talbot. I think he competes and I think he can win. Hmm. And that guy will be easily up for for sale. Uh, in in March, go get him. Yeah, but Kipper. But then we're talking about like how many assets are you using to go out and get things? Because if you put him uh, on LTIR, we're way past that. We're way past that. Kyle's way past that. He's all in. He cannot think that way. You can't come this far and think that you can't find another asset to give up on an ex- expiring contract for a go- uh, for a, an NHL experienced goaltender. That's sure. not an option. No, sure, for a goalie, but I'm saying that right now they need scoring depth. Like, they would yeah. love to have We're another guy there. who can I'm, score up front. We were talking about the goaltending. Yeah, no, I know, but I'm saying if you add that to the pile, that all yeah. of a sudden you've got an in-season, potentially shore up, another winger who can score, another blue liner who can play heavy minutes, and a goaltender that can play for you yeah. come postseason time. Like, that's yeah. a long list for a team that's expected to win a Stanley Cup or compete for a Cup this year. Yeah, take a look at Vegas and see what assets they have left and how many first-rounders and what they've done. And, uh, you know, they're going for it. And are, are the Leafs that far off from what Vegas is thinking? Forget about whether you like Vegas better than the Leafs or who's in a better position to win a Stanley Cup. But they're all in. Vegas has been all in for a few years. Where is Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan? How... Where do you think you're going in two years from now when when you have to revisit, uh, you know, the future contracts? And where's Willie Nylander? Where's Camp? And where's, 
you know, a lot of these other pieces, including Austin, uh, in a year and a half from now. So you're in a position where you got to win now. you got to make moves now. Okay, so when you say you got to make moves now, do you – like how active do you think the Leafs are going to be when it comes to the defense market now? Yeah. Like not yeah. in a month, yeah. not in two months, not come trade deadline time. Like that's in March. We're November 15th today. How how active are they going to be over this next stretch looking for guys that can, yeah, help them they're shore up looking. what they've lost in Jake they're, they're They're looking. They're just not out there right now, and teams are – you know, they want to drive prices up. So they're looking right now. Brody out for two weeks uh, puts a heavy strain on the remaining guys. Uh, Muzzin already out. You got, you got an, uh, an emotional uh, weekend. And then Jordy Ben steps up and, you know, does some really nice things. But, you know, Jordy Ben can't ultimately do what Muzzin does when he's healthy. So you got a blue line right now that just can't win you, uh, certainly can't win you four rounds, and you're not sure about one. So they have to improve that blue line. Is it one guy? Is it two more pieces? Uh, I think that there's more time for some evaluation to know for sure, uh, but they're already aggressive. JD, I assure you they're aggressive. There's just there's just nothing out there right now. Yeah, that's what it feels like. It's like, you know, some of the names that you see guy to get kicked around. It's like Kevin Shattenkirk. I'm like, I don't know how that helps the Leafs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how Where are you on uh, the power play right now? Just um you know, yeah. is it is it good enough to win right now? In well, the no, it looks weird. It looks weirdly not great. And I, I don't really like this is this is more of a question for Bourne, like, but I don't get the whole Matthews in the bumper spot thing. Like, I like having the flexibility of trying guys out in different spots, but it's it's just a little strange, the deployment of Matthews in all of this. Well, if we see Matthews at the very top of the circle uh, shooting a lot of pucks uh, where you know, a number one quarterback defenseman should be. So mm. uh, that, that's an that issue right now. So is, is Morgan the answer? Are you are you grooming Sandine right now to come back in? Is it Lilligren with a couple of goals? Is he showing flashes that he can be a a, a, a power play guy? But you know, there's, there's a few different things that you got to figure out right now uh, moving forward. Um, yeah. And uh, and the power play to me, you know, is is uh, is a concern right now. It just doesn't seem like it's set. It just doesn't seem like everybody knows their roles or, or where their strengths are on it. And they're, they're searching right now. Kipper, we got to run, but I wish we had more time because yeah, I think it's a, it's a tough thing. If the defenseman that you just gave, what eight years to Morgan Riley and it was, yeah, seven years. I don't, I can't remember exactly what it was, yeah. but already isn't your power play one quarterback. Uh, Nick Kiprios, real Kipper and born later today. Thanks as always for making time, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Pal. Have a great day. See you, man. Uh, we got to wrap up. We got to run. Again, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow.